The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. I invite Dawn Bartolazzi to come up this morning. She's going to read our scripture for us. Good morning. Today's scripture passage comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 29 through 40. Please stand with me as I read God's word. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to light. When women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might gain, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. This is God's word. preacher with us this morning. He's a, he's a guest preacher. He's not a guest here. He's, he belongs here. So uh, th- if you don't know him, this man is Brady Reader, good friend, dear brother in Christ, thankful for him. And uh, you all are in for a treat as you are um, um, every time you hear God's word, word, word preached. Uh, Brady is a, a, a good father, good husband, good counselor, and a faithful friend. He's an elder at, at Delta and um, want to welcome here up front this morning. Thanks, Brady. Thank you, Brian. Good morning, Delta. It's good to see all of you this morning. I want to say thank you right off the bat. We absolutely love our church. You guys have loved our family so well over the last three weeks since we brought baby Jane home. And uh, man, we are blessed beyond measure. The food was delicious. I'm not going to lie. I had my favorites above some of the others. All right. (laughs) But all the food was excellent, so thank you guys for loving on our family uh, the way that you did. We deeply appreciate it, and we're so excited to join you guys uh, back in worship again. So Mallory and I, we got to Springfield in October of 2013. We uh, visited a few churches in the area. Our first service to attend here was Christmas Eve of 2013, actually just a couple months after John and Tara Um, got here, and I actually remember that night uh, very vividly. We were walking up the stairs out here, and as you know, when you're visiting someplace new, you're kind of walking slow and just kind of taking things in, 
And uh, we're walking in, and right about the time we get to these windows up here, this little kid comes up and slaps me on the butt, just pow, <laughs> which is not something you're expecting when you're, <laughs> when you're visiting a new church. And I look down, and there's this little face with great big eyes, and he goes, you're not my dad. <laughs> and uh, come to find out, it was one of the uh, pastor's two oldest boys. And apparently from the backside, we look similar. <laughs> but I joked with Mallory after that happened. I was like, well, they're a pretty friendly church here. You know, you don't, don't expect that. So uh, Christmas Eve of 2013, we left that night knowing this is where God wanted us to be. We fell in love with Delta that night. Mallory was in residency at St. John's. She was nearing the end of her residency, uh, which means school loans were going to be coming due soon. And my income alone was not enough to cover the school loans, so she was submitting a lot of applications to places. And sometime after the first of the year, I was listening. I love R.C. Sproul. Are there any R.C. Sproul fans in here? Yes, several hands. I've learned so much from that guy. I loved listening to the Q&As that he did, and I was listening to this one Q&A, and this lady came to the microphone. She said, my family live in this town. She said, we have incredible jobs incredible schools, but she said the churches are terrible. She said there's no gospel-centered, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And she, she said, what would you have me to do? So Dr. Sproul said, well, he said, let me ask you, he said, how far away is the nearest church that you would consider to be Christ-centered, Bible-preaching? And she said, at least two and a half hours. He said, my answer is going to be very simple. It's not going to be popular, especially within America. But he said, my answer is pretty clear. You either quit your job and you move to this town and find new jobs, or you drive over two and a half hours every week. Because he said, no job and no school will offer you. And no job and school will transform your soul like a Bible-preaching, Christ-centered church and family of God will. So, fast forward a couple months. Mallory's residency is almost done. She's submitted a lot of applications. There's one job offer that she gets. And it's a town a little ways from here. I know a little bit about the town. Um, I know some about most of the churches there. And we were really conflicted uh, because I knew... Again, what most of those churches were like in that town. And we were just really conflicted in our souls what to do. Because we felt like this is where the Lord had planted us. And so by faith, we rejected the one job offer that she had at the very end of her residency. With school loans coming due. And I'll be honest, it was pretty scary. I wondered as the head of the household if I had just made a completely foolish decision putting our family in financial jeopardy. A lot of people I know that heard our decision disagreed with it because that's just not the way Americans do things, right? The job, the career determines where you go and then you look for a church and all that kind of stuff after that. So we waited and we prayed and a little over two weeks later, God in his grace provided a job at St. John's here in town. Now, the reason I tell you that is not to say look at us. The reason I tell you that is because I believe 
God in his sovereign grace had me listen to that podcast at the right time to fan my faith into flame and to trust God. And as we turn to our text this morning, this is basically what the author of Hebrews has been doing during, throughout this chapter 11. He's been striving to fan their faith into flame using testimony after testimony of God's people throughout history. And we need to remember that the reason he has taken this stroll through the great hall of faith, so to speak, is that there were some in his audience that he was writing to that professed faith in Christ, but were considering abandoning their faith. In the face of persecution, most likely increasing persecution, some were considering removing themselves from any identification with Christ. And some were, sounds like, it seems like as we read through the book, considering returning to Judaism. And this whole book, really at a basic level, is the author's attempt to expose how foolish and how deadly of a decision it would be to turn away from the superior Son of God. And you'll remember at the end of chapter 10, he tells them not to throw away the confidence found in Christ. He says, You have need of endurance. Those who have been born again are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, all this chapter has been demonstrating what it practically looks like to live by faith, to endure by faith. We're going to continue that theme today. Our main idea is going to be God's people endure by faith even when things don't make sense. God's people endure by faith even when things don't make sense. So throughout the pages of God's Word, we read of God's people finding themselves in radical situations, desperate situations, seemingly hopeless situations, Situations that make no sense whatsoever. And maybe you this morning find yourself in one of those situations. And deep down you're wondering, is it really worth it? Is following Jesus really worth the cost? Is he really worth entrusting my life to? And if that's you this morning, my encouragement to you right now is simply this. I would encourage you to just pause for a minute and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to use his words that are before us to fan your faith into flame. Just like the Hebrew audience, we too have need of endurance. So as we turn to our verses, this first section, we're going to see that faith endures when the situation seems impossible. Faith endures when the situation seems impossible. Starting in verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, 
quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Faith endures when the situation seems impossible. So the first account that he turns to, you find in Exodus 14. And man, there's so many details of these stories, and we're going to have to hit just high-level stuff in order to keep moving, okay? But uh, Exodus 14, Israel has been delivered from slavery in Egypt by miraculous power (laughs) that God displays. But now they find themselves trapped against the Red Sea with the Egyptian army quickly approaching. A million plus people, women, children, livestock, personal belongings, they're not outrunning the Egyptian chariots. This is a seemingly hopeless situation for them. The children of Israel believe so because they see the Egyptians. They feared greatly, the Bible says, and they cry out to Moses, Exodus 14, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Man, talk about enduring faith. Like we're, This brother, his back's against the Red Sea. He has the Egyptian army approaching, and basically the whole nation of Israel has turned on him. And yet Moses has enduring faith. The Lord tells Moses to lift up his hand, stretch out his hand over the sea. Moses does so. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. Then the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their left and on their right hand. Don't let the familiarity of this story cause you to miss the insane thing that just happened. Dry ground in the midst of the sea. Dry ground in the midst of the sea. It doesn't make sense. It's impossible, but by faith, the children of Israel proceed to walk right through the middle of the sea the middle of the sea on dry ground. In between giant walls of water. By faith. By faith, they trusted that these giant walls of water were going to stay in the place, in place by the sovereign hand of God. And by doing so, they crossed in the place where just a few minutes earlier there was no crossing. God made a way where there was no way. Just moments earlier. Now the Egyptians tried it, but they tried it without faith. You do not get to act like the people of God apart from faith in the living God. 
You do not get to act like the people of God without faith in the living God. If you do, there will be disastrous consequences. And I wonder if some of us here this morning aren't kind of like the Egyptians. Trying to act like the people of God. Going through the motions. Trying to be a nice, kind person, but there's no genuine faith. We've got to keep moving. The author then shifts from Israel walking between walls of water to now encircling the walls of Jericho. So now in the land of Canaan, you'll find this in the book of Joshua, the first city Israel is commanded to conquer is the sealed up city of Jericho. Joshua 6 says the king and all the people had been hearing about all this crazy miraculous stuff God had been doing and he shuts the city up inside and out impenetrable. It would take an unbelievable amount of force to conquer Jericho. But the Lord tells Joshua, look, I've already given the city into your hand. And so he says, this is what you need to do. You're going to march around the city once for six days. One time a day, quietly, he gives them the order which they are to march. On the seventh day, they are to march around it seven times The priests are to blow their trumpets. The people are to shout with a great shout. Now, look, you don't have to be in the military to understand, like, that's a pretty crazy battle plan, right? I mean, while I was studying this, I just pictured, like, Joshua talking to some of the military leaders. They've got their weapons ready, and he tells them what's going to happen, and you hear a sword just, like, slide into the sheath as he's like, what in the world is he talking about, you know? This is a very unusual battle plan. City walls don't fall because they're being marched around. City walls don't fall because they're being shouted at. It just doesn't happen. From a human perspective, it would seem victory was impossible by those means, but by faith, the author says, the impossible happened. After being encircled for seven days, the author says, the walls fell down. Joshua says they fall down flat. Faith in what? Faith in who? Well, they had faith in the one whose hand, says the book of Daniel, no one can stay. No one can stay his hand. They had faith in the word of God. He had already told them. He had delivered the city into their hands. It wasn't up to them to figure out how he was going to do it. It was up to them to have faith and obey what he told them to do. And I wonder if some of us here this morning are so busy trying to do God's job and manipulate situations to get the outcomes that we want while we're forgetting what our responsibility is, which is to have faith and obey. Have faith and obey. So the walls fall flat, but miraculously, someone who actually lived in these walls was spared. So where the author goes next, to the story of Rahab, if you back up in the book of Joshua, just a few chapters, you will read this account. Now, this is someone you probably don't expect to find in the great hall of faith, right? A prostitute says one commentator, even the most unlikely of people can receive God's word and prove his power. 
So just a few chapters prior to the fall of Jericho, we read Joshua had sent spies into the land of Canaan to spy out Jericho. Upon the spies' arrival in Jericho, they're shown kindness and hospitality by this woman named Rahab, a prostitute who actually lived in the walls of Jericho. When the king of Jericho hears about the spies coming, he sends his servants to go find them. But Rahab shows kindness to them. She hides the spies and later helps them to escape the city. And here in the book of Hebrews, we read that it was by faith that she did these things. Well, how do we know it was by faith? Well, Joshua records for us that she tells the spies that they've been hearing about all this crazy stuff that the Lord's been doing through the children of Israel And she tells the spies, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. But listen to this. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This woman was not an Israelite. She lived a life of wicked immorality. She lived in a wicked city that had been devoted to destruction. She actually lived in the walls that would soon fall down flat. It would seem impossible that someone living in this situation who lived a life like this would not be the one that this author of Hebrews says they didn't perish with those who are disobedient. But by faith... She believed if there was anyone who could save her from this impending destruction, it was the God who is the God of the heavens above and of the earth below. Is this not the testimony of every Christian in here? I mean, really, spiritually, every single one of us are prostitutes at heart. We have given our love, our affections, our motivations, our desires to created things rather than to the create. We deserve death because of our spiritual prostitution. We deserve to go down with the wicked world that is devoted to destruction. But in God's grace, like Abraham or like uh, Rahab, we hear about this God who is the God of heaven above. And the God of the earth below, and by his grace, we believe this word that we hear about the salvation he offers through his son. And by faith, we are plucked from the kingdom of darkness, from the city of destruction, and we are transplanted into his kingdom. We are not so different than our sister Rahab. Got to keep moving. I love how he transitions into these next verses, starting there in verse 32. After all the incredible examples of faith he has given, he's like, look, is there anything else I need to say? Like, I've proven my argument so thoroughly. What else do I need to say? But actually, the Bible has more examples of this than I actually have time to tell right now. And as people who also struggle to endure by faith at times, how much encouragement should this bring us? The Bible is filled with story after story after story of people who were in seemingly impossible situations, situations that made no sense, yet they endured by faith and obeyed the word of God. And this author, he's just referencing Old Testament examples 
We now have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And just with the Old Testament examples, he's like, look, I ain't got time to cover all this. There's so much here. He's saying, look at the long legacy of the faithful that have come before you who endured. And because they endured, they witnessed the miraculous power of God in their situations. And you know what? We miss the opportunity to have our faith fanned into flame by these stories when this sets at home like this. We've just got to be honest with ourselves. We miss the miracle when this sets at home like this constantly. We miss the opportunity by God's grace to have our faith fanned into flame by these miraculous stories that we read now, just as he didn't have time to write about them, we don't have time to talk about them, okay? And that's for you to do on your own time, but you'll see there in verse 32, he says, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. You read about those things over and over and over in the Old Testament. Stop the mouths of lions. We see that in Daniel quench the power of the fire. We see that in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. We see that in First and Second Kings. I encourage you, seriously, take the time. Go find a concordance. Use the cross-reference in your Bible when you get home. And allow your heart and mind to soak in these incredible acts of faith. Enduring faith in a sovereign, all-powerful God. Because this is the consistent thread through all these stories. And the author of Hebrews is calling his audience to this kind of faith. And by extension, he's calling us to this kind of faith as well. And by implication, I think he's giving a clear warning to the Hebrews and to us that if you abandon your faith, you will abandon everything. Nothing is accomplished, spiritually speaking, if you walk away from Christ. Now, before we move on, there's a couple parts, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about here, but there's just a couple things that I want to highlight that we see within these examples. You can call these things to remember when the situation seems impossible if you want, okay? So when the situation seems impossible, number one, remember, there should be a slide for this here in a minute, God's power is experienced by those who have faith in Him. God's power is experienced by those who have faith in him, even in the most impossible situations. They endured in their faith, and because of that, they witnessed God doing the unthinkable. They witnessed him doing the unexplainable. God works on behalf of those who have faith in him. Faith in God accesses the power of God in our lives. And the opposite is true. The faithless do not experience God's power in their life. The faithless do not experience God's power in their life. So God's power is experienced by those who have faith in him. Second thing, God's power is experienced by those who obey him. 
It's experienced by those who obey him. Even in the most impossible situations, same thing. They obeyed God's word that he had told them. We can't profess to have faith in God and lead a life of continual rebellion and disobedience to God. To have true biblical faith is to recognize him as Rahab did. You, God, alone are the God of heaven above and of the earth below. And because he's also the God of earth below means he's the God of us, which means we can't live like we're the God of our own lives. So God's power was experienced by those who obeyed him. Israel crossed the Red Sea. Israel encircled the walls of Jericho. That was obedience to God's word. God displays his power as his people endure in faith and obey his word no matter what. Second section we're going to see Faith endures when the suffering is intense. Faith endures when the suffering is intense. The second half of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts, mountains, in dens, and caves of the earth. So now the author's making a pretty drastic shift here, right? In verse 35, from miraculous outcomes and victories to now focusing on great suffering and persecution. And really, in just a few short verses, he gives a sweeping look at the intensive, intense suffering that children of Israel faced in their lives. See, that the Bible, is, the Bible is raw and honest. Having faith in God is not a get-out-of-suffering-free card. Having faith in God is not a get-out-of-suffering-free card. The world hates God's people. Satan hates God's people. And so God's people will experience suffering and persecution. And sometimes God calls his people to very intense suffering. The life of faith can be very costly. Yet even when the cost was the greatest... By God's grace, their faith endured. Even many of our brothers and sisters around the world today still experience these kind of levels of persecution. Now, can we be honest? Like, this is scary. This is terrifying to read that God's people, those who pleased God by their faith, often suffered and were mistreated. Instead of experiencing deliverance, they experienced heart-wrenching difficulties and opposition. So how did they endure in their faith under such intense suffering? Well, we get a small glimpse of that at the end of verse 35. They, by faith, believed that one day they would rise again to a better life. This goes back to what Pastor Brian was talking about 
on last Sunday's sermon. They stoked the flames of their faith by looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. So notice the pattern here that the author is weaving for us. He's calling his audience and us to, this is the pattern he's calling us to follow. We look back at the great examples of faith. We look forward to the incredible promises that await us, and we keep going. We keep enduring. We keep walking. When everything was against them, these men and women remained true to the Lord. One commentator said they had, they had faith. God was real to them. They were certain that God's word was true. That what he said would happen would happen. And that what he promised them would be theirs. This is how true faith behaves. See, these people did not fail in their faith because they died this way. Rather, they died believing that no amount of suffering, not even death, would keep them from the promises of God because he's a God who even raises the dead. That's good news for us, amen? Amen. So the author is calling his audience and us to view our suffering through the lens of what God's word says about himself. See, and when we lose sight of this and what God's word says about himself, the temptation is then to define God through the lens of our suffering instead of vice versa. Now, there's there's so much that could be said about a biblical theology of suffering, but I think we at least have to ask ourselves here this morning, most of us have never experienced this level of persecution or suffering, but we've got to ask, is, is God worth it to you? Is God worth suffering this kind of persecution to you? Will we endure by faith if this is the kind of suffering that he has ordained by us? Now, what I hope you're not doing is answering, yep, I got it, and you're looking to self-dependence. Rather, I hope this ignites God-dependence in your soul, saying, no, God, I can't on my own, but I can with you. I can through your grace. Faith that endures sees a God who is sovereign over all things and believes that this sovereign God, when he tells us in his word that he's working all things for the good of those who love him, that includes intense suffering. And you know what? We have proof of this. We have proof that God can take the greatest evil and use it for good, and we need to look no further than the cross. The single greatest wicked human act ever committed on the face of the earth was the the crucifixion of the Son of God. But it was not outside God's plan. As a matter of fact, it was God's plan. God was fully in control of that entire situation and he took the single greatest wicked human deed ever committed and transformed it into the single greatest good any human being could ever experience. God has the power to use our suffering 
for good. And I love the author says here, those who have suffered because of their faith, the world was not worthy of them. The world does not view God's people as worth anything. They're not worthy of any recognition. They're not worthy of any honor, which is displayed by how they were treated in these verses. But for those of us who are in Christ, we have the precious words of Jesus himself to cling to. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Last two verses are going to see this. Faith endures because something better is coming. Faith endures because something better is coming. Verse 39, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So as the author closes this section, he says, look, all these examples of men and women they, they lived exemplary, exemplary lives of faith through great victory, through great suffering. They, they trusted the promises of God. Their faith pleased God, yet they died not receiving what was promised. Now, did they receive promises of God? Absolutely they did. What he's talking about here is they died in their faith, not yet having seen the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise, and that promise arrived in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is that something better. He is the perfect Lamb of God who established the new covenant with His blood, which pays the price for our sin. See, they died with only shadows and figures of who was to come. They died with just symbols that were pointing to Jesus, but the Hebrew audience reading this letter and us, we, we know. We get to read, we get to experience through God's word what this something better is. We see in full detail this something better that God displayed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they, they looked forward by faith to God fulfilling his promise. We look backwards by faith to the one who fulfills every promise of God. And you know what? We're still looking forward as well. Because we know God ain't done yet. There's more to come. We know that when Christ returns, total perfection awaits. Free from Satan, free from sin, free from suffering, free from death, they're all going to be destroyed. New heavens, new earth, eternal life in glorified, perfect bodies. Tom says amen to that. I'm kidding, you're pure. 
Well, maybe you do say amen. I don't know. <laughs> Eternal life face to face with our Savior. That's what we're looking forward to. So as we close this morning, we must be careful, and I hesitated not to mention this over and over and over again, but we, we must be careful to note the fact that all these people were commended not, not because the size of their faith, but because the object of their faith has nothing to do with the size of their faith. It has everything to do about the one in whom their faith was placed. Every single one of these people were massively flawed. They made terrible mistakes. Take one person out of this list, David. Committed adultery. Got a lady pregnant and then arranged to have her husband killed to cover it up. That's the guy whom the Bible says was the man after God's own heart. Every single one of these individuals in this list were terribly flawed. They're not mentioned here because they were perfect. They're mentioned here because they had faith in the perfect one. Does that make sense? We have to grasp that. So what about you this morning? God, the perfect God, demands perfection, which is something none of us can offer. All we have to offer is sin, but perfection is found in the perfect Son of God alone. Perfection is found in him. So is your faith in him and him alone? To the Christians who are here, you are a child of the same God that did all of these crazy miraculous deeds that we've just read about. He's your heavenly father. He's the same God. He hasn't changed. I have no idea what situation you're facing right now, but my question for you is, are you enduring by faith? Are you obeying his word no matter the cost? I'll leave you with this beautiful quote <clears throat> from a commentary. <clears throat> it said, If those who need his help will but seek God's face, they will not cry in vain. He delights in choosing those who seem most unsuitable and using those who seem most rebellious. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. God, it is by your grace and through faith that we can sing what can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount that we know. It's only the blood of Jesus. 
God, I pray if there is someone who has not been washed in that fount this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you are drawing them to yourself, that you would grant repentance, that you would grant saving faith, and that you would cause blinded eyes to see, that you would cause deaf ears to hear. For those of us who are born again, who have been called to endure and obey no matter what, help us to remember we cannot do this on our own. But rather we have a mediator, a faithful high priest, Hebrews 4 says, that is right now before the throne that we can approach with confidence to find mercy and help in time of need. God, we have great need of your grace And you have great grace to offer. Would you help us to remain faithful in the days ahead? To endure by faith. To obey by faith, no matter the cost. In Jesus' name, amen.